today. Um, I'm going to confess we are starting Christmas because it is four Sundays this week to Christmas or the week before Christmas, which means this is the first Sunday of Advent. And so um, for 1900 years, this is the beginning of Christmas. So those of you people who are opposed to it, you know, you argue with history. Stop sticking your tongue out at me, lady. Um, let's, uh, let's pray in preparation for hearing the word. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning and, and help, us to, um, help us to be in your presence. Help us to know you more. Um, I pray, Lord, that as we go into this season where the world just offers us so much um, materialism and so much empty hope, um, that we would uh, find, find hope and find grace and find real meaning in Christ, um, real meaning in, in the Messiah that you sent to save us, um, real meaning in, in um, the celebrations and the, the time of joy that we have around, um, around you coming to be amongst us. Um, I praise you, Lord, for being such an awesome God, for being a God who loves us so much that that you wouldn't go any distance to be um, to bring us home. In Christ's name, Amen. Um, so we are starting a series. Uh, Christmas is a um, Christmas is a difficult series to preach, to be honest with you, because most of us have heard about ten thousand Christmas sermons in our lifetime. Um, if you're older, like Craig, it's probably a little more like a hundred thousand. Um, and and so like it's. It's hard to kind of boil it down, and I, I always sort of spend weeks and weeks and weeks trying to figure out um, exactly how to come at the text or how to come at these passages or, or what have you. And um, we're we're going to do something simple today. This this I have a blue line, honey. Um, <laughs> we're we're going to do something simple this year. <laughs> did I did that mean something I didn't know? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I <laughs> oh, thank you, dear. You know I love you dearly. Um, I uh, I read a series or I read a story this morning. A little quote from uh, Dave Barry. Um, he's talking about uh, his children um, and and their school Christmas program, and he says. To avoid offending anyone, the school dropped religion altogether and started singing about the weather. At my son's school, they now hold a winter program in February and sing increasingly non-memorable songs such as Winter Wonderland, Frosty the Snowman, and, this is a real song, Susie the Snowflake, all of which is pretty funny because we live in Miami. (laughs) A visitor from another planet would assume that the children belong to the Church of Meteorology. Um, <laughs> the reason I, that struck me and the reason I wanted to talk about it as a, opening this series is um, it is so easy to lose sight of what Christmas is about. And, and not just like, oh, Jesus was born on this day, right? It, it isn't just that. This is the story of God redeeming his people, um, it's not just, you know, it's not just a birth story. It's not just a story about, like, why we should be hospitable to poor people who are pregnant. It's not just a story about, you know, this or that. I mean, like, so many things that we get confused about or we sidetrack on or we freak out about. Like, I, I have already, you know, it, it, stores have already started Black Market or Black Friday, right? It's Black Market, too. 
<laughs> We're getting really good gifts this year, baby. Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> stores have already started Black Friday Christmas sales. I mean, they are already doing this because um, it, to the larger world, once you strip out the core meaning of Christmas, this is what's left. It's songs about weather, and it's buying presents, and it's that warm feeling that you get, and it's cookies and all kinds of other stuff, and it's not something to live your life for. It's not something life-changing or miraculous. It's not something, honestly, that's even worth celebrating for thousands of years. Um, At the core of it, Christmas is the beginning of the gospel story. It is the beginning of the story of Christ coming and saving us. Us not being able to be good enough to earn our way to heaven, clean enough to be presentable to God, holy enough to be awesome enough to be, you know, in God's presence. And so God says, I see you can't do this. I'm going to do it for you because I love you. Like, that is the story of Christmas. And this series, like, what we're going to do for the next four weeks is we're going to look at how the gospel is presented in the Christmas story. How the gospel, and it is there. It is there over and over and over again. The story of Christ being born is the story of God sending his own sacrifice to die for us. And so that is what we're going to be working on. Um, And and so that is my series introduction. Um, And we're going to start in Genesis because it's the beginning, right? Um, and, and before I jump into that, I, one more, like real quick thing, I was trying to figure out like, well, how do you talk about this? I, I think my favorite, and I said, I wouldn't do this at all during this series, but I am going to do it anyway. Cause I'm kind of a hypocrite. Um, my favorite Christmas movie, um, every year is, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. And actually it's a Thanksgiving movie, but it's a Christmas movie cause it's a Christmas series. We're skipping Thanksgiving this year. Um, and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is the story of a man trying to get home for Christmas. And, like, hilarity ensues because he accidentally hooks up with John Candy on the way. Do not hang out with John Candy on the way to anywhere um, is the message of the film. Um, and it's all about this, like, get home to family, get home to family, get home to family. And there are hundreds of films in this genre, right? Like Dutch was another one. I don't know if some people saw it. I was hoping Mark Potter would be here so that I could say that and he could, yeah, you know, but... Um, there are lots of these like getting home for Christmas kind of films and starting out in Genesis, the story of Genesis on to Christmas is the story of getting home, right? It is a story of coming back to where we came from. And, um, this is based on this idea that there is a scarlet thread in scripture. And what I mean by that, this is an idea that came from the medieval era where, um, theologians realized they started studying the Bible in depth and they realized There is a line from the beginning to the end where Jesus shows up in absolutely everything. And and the more you study it, the more uncanny it is. The entire story of the Bible is about Jesus. Beginning in Genesis, the story of the flood is about Jesus. We don't realize it, but it's about Jesus. Um, The story of Abraham offering Isaac is about Jesus. The story of King David and all these things that happened to him is the story of Christ. And so as we charge into this text, like we're going to, like the scarlet thread is central to this. And this is the beginning of it. Um, And so like we're going to jump into the text. Uh, Genesis 3, 8 to 13 is actually where we're going to start. And we're going to do a little bit of Genesis with Adam and Eve. And then we're going to do a little bit of Genesis with Abraham. And we're going to see where we go from there. Um, Then the man and his wife. All right. So before I start, I got to give. So Adam and Eve. Created, put in the garden, everything is perfect, right? 
They have to tend the garden, but there's no picking rocks because everything's easy, right? Um, it, it's, it's probably the beginning of, and actually in the curse, it says, well, you know, Adam, here's your curse. It's working. The ground's going to be hard, and it's going to make you sweat and everything else. And so, like, the curse is farmers will complain. And I know that's a complete shock. Nobody's ever noticed that happens. But like, part of the curse is that farmers would complain forever. Um, and, and so, like, they are put in the garden. They're, they're to live there, enjoy God, spend eternity, like, like enjoying and exploring the creation. And, and then the fall happens. They're given one rule, don't eat off that tree over there. And they choose to violate that rule. And most of us know this story, right? Like, this isn't brand new to anyone. And so starting in Genesis 3, they have realized they were, like, naked. They have gone into hiding, and they're, they know they're in trouble. Um, and so then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, I'm going to hit pause here because this is just one of the coolest little bits in uh, this account that's oftentimes sort of fly over country. You just go right past it and think, oh, well, that doesn't matter. Um, God just showed up and, like, walked through the garden. Like, he would show up and just spend time in the cool part of the day, like, talking to Adam and Eve and enjoying them. Um, you ever had one of those days where you were, where everything was broken and it felt like the world couldn't get any worse than it was and you thought, where are you, God? Like, why can't you show up and talk to me? This is the way the world used to be and the way it's supposed to be is that God was supposed to be with his creation. God was supposed to be in relationship with them and we are designed to be in relationship with God. And so God shows up to spend time with them and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. And then he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? By the way, I always feel like having become a parent, this has a whole lot more weight. You know, you ever, parents in the room, you ask that question, you know what they did. Like, I'm pretty sure God knew what happened. They, all right, so did you do this? You know, did you eat off this tree I told you not to eat off of? Um, and the man said, that woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. So everybody blames everyone else. So when your kids do that, this is... Starts in the beginning. Um, so God starts handing out punishments, and he begins with the serpent. And he says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust for all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. That one line right there, right? This is God handing out punishment. But this text, like theologians call this the Proto-Evangelion. And I mispronounced that badly and I totally don't care because I'd never studied Latin. Um, the Proto-Evangelion. Evangelion? Um, and what it is is... <laughs> Um, it is the very, very, Jeremy's back there, the seminary student trying to correct my Greek. <laughs> um, the, the very, very first presentation of the gospel, right? Because all of Eve's curse relates to motherhood. You will be a mother and like 
pain will come about and bearing children and all of these things will happen. So she, all of this stuff relates to being a mother. And like, here we are, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Um, later, we see this text applied to Christ, right? And the assumption is that, that the snake is Satan and like Satan will um, strike at his heel. And that is what the cross is, right? Like the story of the curse comes with a promise. The story of the curse comes with a, I know stuff's bad, guys, but I'm going to fix it. And I'm going to fix it because I'm going to send a child for you. And that child will be bitten, but he will crush your head, crush the head of the enemy. And, and this text right here all by itself presents this idea that God will show up and God will redeem his people. It's the very first hint that this is coming. It's the very beginning of the scarlet thread where we see the promise, like God promises, hey, the day is coming. When we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate the beginning of this story, right? I mean, it's easy to lose sight of what Christmas is about. Like I, I read um, I read a story about, uh, about Japan, like when Christmas was first really introduced into Japan as like sort of a holiday that, you know, a commercial holiday. And, and not many Christian folks live in Japan. Like it's not a very Christian culture. There's all – anyway, we can get into that. But they, there was a news reporter there, and she asked this woman who was, you know, shopping. She had her bags and everything, and, and asked her, well, you're doing this Christmas thing. Why? So I don't really know. It's, we're trading gifts. I, I think it has something to do with Jesus. I don't know. Like, but I, I know I'm doing this because it's going to be fun. Like, the story of Christmas, if it's about gifts, is nothing. If it's about... Um, if it's about warm feelings or cookies or lights or, or even three ghosts showing up and visiting Ebenezer Scrooge, like all of these things, like they're not, they're not substantial. What makes Christmas powerful is in the very beginning, God intended to spend time with his people. He intended to have a relationship with his people. He intended to know his people. Um, he intended for there to be no sickness and no death and no brokenness and no like, like screwed upness in this world. And in the very beginning, it got messed up. And from that point forward, the, the creation has decayed. And Jesus arriving, Christmas is the celebration of, oh good, the cavalry's here, right? Oh good, God is here to fix this mess that we're in. And that, that's worth celebrating. That's worth, like, singing about. That's worth having special holidays. That's worth... Um, Really, really getting into it. The problem is that we can get lost in the celebration. Um, C.S. Lewis, I was going to use this quote, and I decided not to. I'm going to summarize it. He talks about how with small children, they can't separate the celebration from the religious. And so, like, you know, you give them chocolate eggs, and chocolate eggs have something to do with Jesus being born or Jesus resurrecting, right? Well, we're not sure what it is, but thank God I have chocolate eggs because Jesus rose, you know. It, but it's not a wrong thing. It's just a part of being a child. The celebration and the joy and the hope is all interconnected with the religious, right? And we lose that when we become adults, which is to our benefit because we suddenly understand more deeply. But it's also to our loss because suddenly we lose the spiritual. Like if we lose the spiritual, the reality that God sent a child to crush the head of Satan, to, to take death away like like the sting of death away, um, we lose what matters. Um, Genesis three ends where the curse has been handed out and and God announces or we'll pick it up. 
the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, the man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden um, cherubim, which are angels, and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the tree of life. And so this tree of life thing gets seized on in the period between um, the book of Malachi being done, right, like the, the last book of the Old Testament, and the book of, you know, the Gospels. There's about a 500-year gap in there, and it's called the intertestamental period. And there's all kinds of cool writings that happen in there that aren't Scripture, but if you read them, you can kind of look and say, oh, wait, I can see how this contributes to how the disciples thought or how God was preparing his people for the arrival of Jesus. Um, and, and this is one of those things that during that intertestamental period they grabbed up on and they were really excited about, Right. They were really excited about, oh, wow, this tree of life is a thing. And eating from it means you live forever. And they didn't know yet, but that tree of life thing, that's Christ again, right? They, they you know, oh, well, they live forever. Well, how do we live forever? We take and eat of Christ, right? That's when we do communion. That is like part of the symbolism of communion. We consume and we gain eternal life. We, not because we consume, but because we're filled with Christ. Like this, this story is a story of, hey, you're not home anymore. The tree of life is gone. Your relationship with God is severed. There's distance between you and him because of sin and brokenness. Um, and we don't get back to that tree of life until the very, very, very end of the story. Um, so after this happens, we see where God makes a couple of contracts along the way. Um, Noah shows up and, and a lot of people drown. Um, and then there's a fellow named Abraham. And part of the deal is, like what we see in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is the story of God reestablishing his relationship with his people. So we go from very close over here to really far away because of the fall, right? And then God starts reestablishing things. And he reestablishes in steps. And so he starts out by saying, well, nobody's following me. Nobody knows me. And he picks out this guy, Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you come along, you be my people, and I'll be your God, and this is how I relate to man. And so he establishes his own family, and he says, these people are going to worship me, and they're going to be my people. Ideally, they're going to be really good at it. Guess what? They totally weren't. Um, and so, but he starts out with Abraham, and he says, Abraham, you know, he, he makes this contract, and three or four times in the text, he comes back and he talks about this contract with him. And sometimes he adds stuff along the way. Um, this Genesis uh, 12 is one of the first instances of this. The Lord said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you, which is where Israel is now, um, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and I will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you will curse you. And, and here's the emphasis point, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Um, why does that matter? Because this is the next step in the gospel in the Old Testament, right? Where we start seeing like, hey, one of your descendants, through you, the world will be blessed, right? And this is the very generic version of it. Through you, the world will be blessed. And the world is blessed because the Jewish people come out of Abraham. Like all of his descendants um, are the Jewish people. And actually God promises again, um, this time where 
I really want to get into this story more, and I don't have time. I'm sorry, guys. Um, this is the story where God sends Abraham to sacrifice his only son, Isaac. And Abraham waited 10 years to get this son that God promised him in that first promise, right? I will give you kids, because Abraham was fatherless or childless. Um, so take, those, you know, he takes, take your one kid and take him up to Mount Moriah, and, and I want you to sacrifice him to me. And Abraham gets up and he travels three days and he arrives at Moriah and they walk up the mountain and he has Abraham, or Isaac, his son, carry the wood on his back that he's going to be sacrificed on. And they get to the top and they, he ties up Isaac and he gets ready to sacrifice him. Um, like she, on the way, actually, the other thing that happens there that's kind of interesting is Isaac says, hey, dad, where's the sacrifice? We're supposed to sacrifice something. Where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God himself will provide a sacrifice, Right. And they get up there, and he ties up Isaac, and he goes to sacrifice him. And the angel says, stop, 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 stop. I see that, you tr- you know, that you, you're committed to me. I see that it wasn't just about the son, that you are my people. And then Abraham looks over, and there's a ram caught by its horns in a thicket nearby. And the angel says, hey, go sacrifice that ram instead. And so he sacrifices the ram. And this story, here's another scarlet thread moment, is the story of Christ and the crucifixion and the, you know, like the story of the cross. Because they traveled three days, which is like the amount of time he was in the grave. He carries his wood up, you know, which is like Christ carried his cross to the place where he was crucified. Mount Moriah, they had to travel like forever, like three whole days to get there because Mount Moriah is the place that Jerusalem would eventually be. And it's the place that Christ was eventually crucified. Um, and Christ carried his cross to the top of Mount Moriah where he was crucified. Um, Abraham, or Isaac does the same thing. He carries his wood up to this place. And then God provides his own sacrifice like he will with Christ one day. Um, and that sacrifice, like being Jesus, um, they, they put a crown of thorns on his head, which is the same kind of thicket the, the ram would have been caught in. This is such a cool story. And to dig into it right takes a while. And I'm sorry, I'm just flying over it real quick the point of this being like so we see this picture of jesus is coming and he's coming like like your son your great 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 grandson um will be the one who will be on this mountain sacrificed that's coming and so the promise again the promise made to eve we see it here right This promise keeps going. And when we celebrate Christmas, we're celebrating God's provided his own sacrifice. Like God's own sacrifice is here. This is the day it's going to happen. Or this is the time it's going to happen. God is going to bring us home. And it is going to be a hard trip, right? Because that hard trip involved like years and years of hopelessness. And then Christ arrives and people are excited that he's there but then he has to go to the cross, and that's hard. And now we live, and we look back, and we say, this has happened, but we're looking forward to the time we'll be in eternity with him. And we're on that journey home. We're on that journey back to God. We don't live here forever. This isn't all there is. We're on our way to heaven. Um, and the celebration of Christmas is finally got our tickets, right? We finally got to start our trip home. We're going to be home. Um, oh, I could have read that. I didn't. Um, Matthew uh, and Luke actually both uh, thought this was so important that when they wrote out the announcement of Christ, they, they included his genealogy, where he came from. Matthew started with, this is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac because Jesus is the son of this promise. 
Jesus says, the world will be promised, you know, the world receives this promise through you. Um, I didn't include the slide, I'm sorry, I thought I did. But there, right after the Isaac and the Ram story, God promises these things again. And this time he modifies it where he says, the whole world will be blessed through your descendant. And that descendant is Christ, right? And so like when we celebrate Christmas, the meaning of it, the point of it, it was promised to Eve, it was promised to Abraham, and we celebrate it. God sent his own son to die for you. The day he was born, Christmas Day, we celebrate it because it's the beginning. Um, Peter quotes that passage. Um, he, this is the first sermon Peter preaches. I'm not going to do the whole sermon. Um, this is the first sermon Peter preaches after the resurrection. He's speaking to a crowd of Jews, and he says, Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken, have foretold these days, and you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers, meaning that contract he made with Abraham. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all people on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servants, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you away from your wicked ways. And so what Peter's saying is, Peter's saying, hey, remember when God promised Abraham? That was Jesus. And Jesus came to die for your sins, right? And so we celebrate Christmas. Again, we're celebrating God is keeping his promise. God is bringing us home. God is setting things back up. And actually, to kind of put an exclamation point on this, Revelation 22, um, the tree of life is mentioned four times in the book of Revelation, right? Because this is one of these points where, like, the, the, the point of it all is sort of brought together. And this is in the story of heaven, the new heaven and the new earth. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they might be right. They have the right to the tree of life, and may go through the gates of the city. Outside are the dogs, those who practice magic arts, sexual immorality, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves the practices of falsehood. And like what he's talking about here, and the tree of life turns up four or three times in this little description of heaven. What he's talking about here is the fact, the reality, the truth, the promise that when we step across the threshold into heaven, um, Christ will be there. That that tree of life, that eternal life we will receive is from Christ. And so, like, the scriptures is a little like planes, trains, and automobiles, right? I'm not home. I'm not going to be home. I don't know how I'm going to get home. The tree of life is taken away. It's separated from us. And God promises, just, you know, I'm going to fix this. I'm going to fix this. Trust me. We move in the direction. And then Christ comes and is fulfilled. And then Christ goes to the cross and he dies and he saves us so as we celebrate christmas folks as we celebrate thanksgiving we might say thank you but we're going to jump right over thanksgiving this year and recognize like what we're celebrating what what the point of it all is is the gospel it's not just the birth of christ it is god providing his own sacrifice for us it is god sending his son to pour out his blood to to take punishment for your sins um that baby born like that story of this baby coming um it's the story of your salvation, the greatest gift you could possibly receive. And to throw that away in favor of, like, frosted sugar cookies, which I really like, um, it's crazy. Um, it's absolutely crazy. My challenge for you this week, and actually for this whole month, because you're going to hear it out of me every week, as we approach this holiday, as we approach this day where we're going to trade presents and we're going to spend time with family, this this stuff that we're doing, it's just a symbol pointing forward to the fact that 
and pointing backward to the fact that Christ came to redeem us and that one day we'll eat from the tree of life like in eternity. That one day um, every knee will bow and every tongue confess, every tear will be wiped away, um, and that we'll all back up and look and say, because I had faith in Christ, Christ poured out his blood and I'm washed and I'm, I belong to him. I wanted to use a line from this song that Jeremy sang, and I couldn't find it once I started. Um, the Come Thou Font, where he, he talks about um, wandering. You know, though I'm prone to wander, and he talks about coming home. Guys, we wander, we sin, we rebel. You know, we've all been the prodigal son at some point in time in our lives. Um, Christmas, we celebrate the fact that God bought passage for us to come back home. Let's pray, and I'll let y'all go. Heavenly Father, I pray that you be with us this morning. I pray that you would help us to to set our hearts and our eyes on Christ in this season. Help us to remember that that we celebrate this time because we know that your Messiah, your Son, came for us. We celebrate because when we were your enemies, when we hated you in our sin, Christ poured out his blood on our behalf. Christ stepped away from, from eternity, from heaven, from, from the throne where he was worshipped by angels since the beginning of time. Um, Christ stepped away for, from all of that to be born in a barn. Um, to be a man, limited and, 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 and like one of us, so that he could bring us home. And I pray, Lord God, that as we go through this season that we remember, we are, we are on our way home. We're on our way back to you. And we celebrate Christmas. We celebrate the, the blessing that you've given us. Um, because we'll safely arrive at home, that Jesus sought us when we were savers, when we were strangers, that we wandered from the fold of God, and He to rescue us from danger, interposed with His precious blood. In Christ's name.